Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Labelled Podcast. I am Lucy and I'm here with Alice. Hi Hello. Alice. Hello, how are you? I am tired today. I'm very um, tired, yes. Both exhausted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's supposed to be a nice relaxing um, time at the weekend, but I frequently feel more shattered uh, on a Monday than I do like come Friday afternoon so. <laughs> I know it's um I can't believe I can't believe the start of the week comes around as fast as it normally does but there we I go know, I know it's 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 not even unfortunately that you know I'm off gallivanting having too much fun and that's why I'm tired I'm just I'm just old and life admin <laughs> is exhausting now the I don't is. know I don't know <laughs> you make us sound like old ladies we're not old ladies we're just uh, tired sometimes i feel like it yeah <laughs> <laughs> just it's it's that uh it's it's the mid 30s just yes. that's how they get you absolutely we've got a guest with us as usual this week um i've been looking forward to speaking to katrina since reading an article she wrote um months months ago i think i read that article now it's everything is just a blur <laughs> what is time who knows <laughs> katrina <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself and just sort of tell us tell our audience a little bit about you hi everyone my name is katrina hazel i am 28 years old and i have a disability called cerebral palsy and i use a wheelchair for mobility and a little bit of background about me is that um, I need help doing most of all daily living activities but as many they view me as a little girl in a wheelchair because I'm little but um, that's often like a perception that they have of a person with no disability or a person who uses the wheelchair, they just view them as a little girl or however they choose to describe them. Um, who I am is an exception, but um, can I'll share with you a little bit about my mastery on the wheels. It's kind of how I describe my journey now is how I can show you all the things I'm able to do and I was able to accomplish and continue to hope that other people with disabilities are, will be able to do the same thing. It's brilliant. I, yeah, I think when I when I uh, met, first spoke to Katrina, I thought there's, um, I think your experience, um, Katrina, is quite similar to Lucy's experience. Um, but I mean, obviously both of you are, are 
groups uh people with cp who who use wheelchairs um and i know i didn't realize that you were small katrina i know that, that lucy <laughs> always describes herself as a as a tiny titch yes. person <laughs> i am i am my friend has uh, done his research about my height and i am smaller than danny devito only by an inch but i'm smaller than danny devito which i don't know is impressive or depressing i don't know but there you go <laughs> you could fit me in a pocket <laughs> yeah. yeah um it's pretty interesting because um, growing up i was very shy i didn't speak to anyone besides like my mom dad and siblings like many others would just get a simple way of hi mm-hmm. or a smile and that was my way of commu- communicating with them but now I'm an advocate for myself and others, um, a motivational speaker. And I do motivational speaking both locally and internationally. I'm a college graduate and a speaker for Respectability National Women Speakers Bureau. And I'm also a certified professional coach, which I specialize in people with disabilities and I want to be able to reach their families and give their families hope on their journey raising them Mm. with a disability and um, I hope to do many other things just by being a coach. Yeah that sounds absolutely brilliant Katrina. So um you said when you like when you were growing up, you were quite shy and, and didn't really speak to anybody. But obviously, that's quite a transition from the person you are yeah, I was today. Um, what was the thing that kind of made you go, actually, do you know what? I, I'm going to find my voice and sort of hear, hear me roar kind of thing. Where did that where did that come from? Uh, it truly started from my experience in school um especially when i started high school because um the high school that i attended um it was a mainstream school i was the only student in the wheelchair in my entire school um like i was in a mixed um special education setting so like sometimes i had general education classes. Yeah. And sometimes I had um, special education classes with support. Mm-hmm. Um, the school, um, it was accessible. It had an elevator, it had a ramp. But when I started there, one of the classes that I spent most of my day in um, had no windows. It was the size of a closet. Blimey. Um, and it had like 15, um, 15 students mm. and of course my, um, teacher's assistant and a teacher who would provide the subject yeah. and also they never included the students with disabilities to go on trips, um, like for award ceremonies, they would almost basically forget to call my name, even though they give me invitation. Right. Um, my parents would have to be the one to go up to them and say, hey, you know, Katrina, 
is here. Um, what happened to Hannah Ward? And they would just go like wherever they have the pile of awards and take it out. And um, like mention my name, but everyone else will be already like leaving because they already started closing it out. Yeah. And um, that's really um, how I really started advocating. But even before, um, like when I was in middle school, um, for my eighth grade senior trip, um, the principal asked, can my dad take a day off from work to take me on my senior trip because they didn't purchase an accessible school bus or coach bus. Wow. So do you think that, I mean, did, did there come a time where you were just you just were sick of it and you just decided I'm I'm angry I'm not gonna sit here and be the quiet one anymore I think um as I became like a teenager um it became a struggle for me to like embrace myself and my disability it was um it was like um my parents never said why me on their journey raising me, but um, I felt that way and um, I was able to start like expressing myself through writing. So I created like my very own website to share my story and experiences. And that's truly how I found my voice yeah did you do you find as well now that the just sort of the online disability community is a great help to you as well like with disability twitter and that kind of thing i think by me using social media and sharing my story and just putting myself out there has allowed me to receive like great opportunities for me to share my story, um, I'm able to be like keynote speakers um, for organizations. Um, people ask me to present on their panel, um, and I was also able to, um, after I graduated high school and everything, I was able to get involved in like advocacy. I didn't really know what advocacy was when I was in school. So I basically only know that I was sharing my story and experiences, but didn't know what it would turn out to be. I mean, it's a great, it's a great um, story. Do you often think to yourself, I wish I could go back and tell shy little Katrina that things get better? <laughs> yes. I yeah, <laughs> I'm sure she'd be so in awe of you, Katrina. The the younger version of yourself would be so in awe. And I think that's why it is really important for people with disabilities to sort to to get out there, like whether it's social media or doing like you know attending conferences and and doing keynote speaking and stuff to to really share their story rather than like because it just means that there are going to be like you know 
other little Katrinas out there in the world right now who are really shy. Um, and I yeah. mean, you know, I I can never be accused of being a shy person. <laughs> um, but I definitely had a didn't have a good relationship with my disability growing up. Um, and I think had I grown up with, with access to social media and being able to see other you know people with my disability out there sharing their stories and talking about their experiences I think I, it would have it would have made me feel I would have accepted my disability quicker yeah um and that would have made me feel not necessarily more confident but you know just just have more self-esteem about myself and I think I don't know about you Katrina but growing up I never saw anybody who was like me on the television. There was no representation in, in books or anything like that. You know, um, there was no, no other person with a disability, no matter what that disability was, there was no, there was no sort of mirror being held up to say, this is you. I mean, I, I was, a, I grew up in the nineties, so it was a long time ago, <laughs> but, um, there was there was no there was no representation to go oh yeah yeah that that's me that's obviously you know what it can be like as an adult um and there was a lot of sort of finding that information out for yourself um yeah. i think and um, i'm like particularly with cerebral palsy there's no um there's not really much uh work done on growing up with cerebral palsy, you, you know about cerebral palsy as a child and how it affects a child. But as soon as you reach sort of like 17, 18, it sort of stops overnight. I don't know what it's, it's like for you over there in the US, Katrina. Um, but it's certainly what it's like for... It's like we know everything about this now. Here you go. Off, off you go. Yes, off you go. Um, <laughs> um, you know. It, it's pretty interesting because um, I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at nine months old. And that was when my parents took me back to the hospital and began to question my lack of development at the age I was. And yeah. that's when the doctors told her to my parents, hey, um, she has a disability, but never even disclosed the type of disability. They just simply told wow. me that I needed to attend early intervention. Wow. Really? So... Um, yeah, they were basically just told I needed to attend early intervention. And while that early intervention was when, like, I guess the therapist on the team disclosed, hey, um, your daughter has cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, the journey raising me was an open book. They weren't given no further direction or detail. Yeah. Which is hard. Which is hard because, um, like, like I mentioned, um, my parents are from the Caribbean, and in the Caribbean, disability isn't visible. So that was basically the first time they heard the term disability, let alone the term cerebrally. So they weren't sure on like how to care for a person or a child with a disability. And what 
things that they needed to do. But they became very good advocates for me. Yeah, of course. And like, like they never settled for less, even when doctors may have. Because I find that um, the doctor's expectations for me was that I would never be able to talk, see, or do anything for myself like any other kids. And that was basically their hopeless expectations. But I think it's also time for doctors to really see that, hey, we actually grow mm-hmm. up to become adults with disabilities. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, go on, Anna, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that's really cool of your parents. Like, like that must have been a really difficult time for them. Like, I mean, having a, you know, nine-month-old it's not easy anyway but to to be presented with a diagnosis that you don't understand that you're not familiar with not having anything explained and just sort of being sent on your way and for your parents to still go well actually we're really going to fight for Katrina here i i think there's probably a lot of people who would who would be really overwhelmed by that experience and not not have the energy to be able to to kind of fight back mm. um yeah you know, i think it's it's very cool that 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 was your parents response um, because actually when the doctors mentioned that i have a disability they actually asked my parents would you like to keep her or leave her here no and that is crazy like, yeah my parents were like, um, she's my child. I'll take her <laughs> the way she is. Yeah, that's uh, actually ch- ch- changed my mind about this TV. Do, uh, it doesn't have all the channels I was expecting. So I'm just going to bring it back and leave it here. Um, it's not, not the same with kids. No. Yeah. Wow. And it, it was also, it's also pretty interesting because, um, I'm, I'm the youngest. I have two older siblings. So, um, it was all, also about navigating the journey with my two older siblings and me, but my parents always told them to treat me like everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's been pretty cool, but now that like we got older i'm like um it's good that they told you guys how to treat me like everyone else but i still think that there are some things that you should learn i'm laughing because it's it's exactly the same in our house my i am the oldest of between me and my sister and my sister she makes no compensation for the fact that i can't walk she just takes the piss <laughs> at the same level as if I would be able to walk. <laughs> like there's no sort of I'll go easy on her at all. Um yeah. I'm used to that too. Like me and my me and my sister we often like kind of argue because she doesn't have the same perception that I do or the, <laughs> be, I think because of the fact that they told her to treat me like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. She still are like trying to really 
understand my view of things. Yeah, yeah. No, that's um. I think it's nice though that that you like you say your your home life and your upbringing it wasn't affected. You know, they didn't they didn't wrap you up in cotton wool and were like, oh, we must treat her like the special one. It's like just yeah get on with it kind of thing and and again i mean you know you're when your parents were given the option of you know basically giving you giving you up as Mm -hmm. considering they didn't again like they had no they had no idea of what to expect from having a disabled child like the fact that they went uh no she's my daughter we're taking her home and they took you home and they told you know your older siblings like mm. she's still Katrina, she's still the same. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool. Mm. Um I mean you said that um you think that your your perception and um it of things is is a bit different from your siblings because of your disability. How do you think, you know, growing up disabled and, and being a disabled adult has has shaped your sort of your attitude and, and perception towards things? I think um growing up and then actually like finding my voice and then from finding my voice I think I was able to find my strong sense of purpose which is what I do today and I think um, that perception really came from seeing all like the the struggles or experiences I had growing up with a disability and my parents' journey raising me, I always knew what was expected of like service providers or um, educators. And when I didn't see those things occurring, I would let my mom know um, because my dad, he had to work most of the time when the meetings were in the daytime. So he was um, still very supportive, but he wasn't able to like be at like the meetings mm. during the daytime mm. because he had to work. But um, my mom, um, she was like one of the strong advocates and she didn't let like any of the teachers or service providers like overstepped her so I think watching their journey raising me and how the doctors communicate um really helped shape me into the perception that I have today that like some things that do um happen in the disability community Mm -hmm it's totally wrong and it should it should should be this way yeah you've said katrina that um your parents are are caribbean so are you first generation um american yeah yeah so what was you know what what was your parents exposure to the disabled community what what's disability you know what what did they see in in their like you know in in the caribbean when when they were living there what was because i know you said you've you've visited there yourself what's 
what's it like for the disabled community um you know or, or what did you feel that you saw when you visited so um disability in the caribbean is not visible um so many of the people with disabilities are kept at home um it's viewed as like a sense of shame mm. um you don't see them out in the community um, as you should. Um, they may have like a few people that's um, hearing impaired, but they can walk. So you would see um, quite a, um, a few of those individuals, um, but you wouldn't see any like young person in a wheelchair or things like that because they're mostly kept at home um disability is viewed as a sense of shame um they don't have access to like services and things like that so the family basically cares for them mm. what did they make home. of what did they make of you katrina when you arrived as a visitor to the caribbean um well i went um for the first time from ever since I was a baby, like yeah. in 2005. Mm -hmm. And when I went in 2005, I was still um, very shy. So I didn't really speak much, but I know that when we were out in the community, like I would see people staring and like, they wouldn't say nothing, but they're staring. And I would often ask, like, my mom or dad, um, like, why they're staring. Yeah. And, um, or you would hear, like, whispers, like, what happened to her? Um, right. But they think, like, I uh, you got didn't hear them. Yeah. So, um, like, it's not wheelchair accessible, so everything has stairs and, um, if you think about the Caribbean, everything is like very kind of hilly and the streets are not like even. So I often have to be like um, carried places and I have to use like a manual chair. Um, they're probably never even seeing a person in a wheelchair out in the community. So. When I returned from my trip, I often questioned, um, like, what do they do for the people with disabilities there? Mm. And so, um, in 2017, when um, we were planning another trip, um, I said, this time I'm going, no matter like how difficult it, it is, Mm -hmm. I'm going and I want to visit my family, but I also want to like plan some speaking engagements when I go. So, um, my cousin who does a lot of like community outreach and she's also in charge of like a police youth club set up for me to speak to the youth of her um, police youth club. 
from in the area that my parents are from, like um because they're from Saint Vincent and the Grenadines. Okay. But um, Saint Vincent is like the capital, and they have like a small island. So mm. they're from a small island called Beckway. So we have to take like a ferry to get to their town when we get off the plane. Yeah. And so she set up for me to speak to the youth club and the young people never seen a person in a wheelchair before. So I shared my story with them. And um, they, they loved it, but they were also very shy because, like I said, they never seen a person in a wheelchair mm. before. And they, um, they're probably was curious as well. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And I also got to speak um, to like educators and parents of. They actually do have now. They, um, like I guess, a group or like two people created a school. For children, um, they consider it as the Sunshine School for Children with Special Needs there. So they, they do have a school there um, for them, but many of their teachers aren't even trained on how to work with students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they receive training, um, they have to go out of I guess the Caribbean, another island or country to receive training on how to support um, students Mm -hmm. with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if they go to like, I know here they have homeschooling for children that can't go to school. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they have those, but when... I was able to do those opportunities. One of the things that I had made, like I guess a commitment to, was that I'll support them in like being able to donate things to them and provide opportunities to them. So what I have been doing for, I guess the past two or three years is um, doing like back to school drives um, to support the young people back in the Caribbean and also to support the school for children with disabilities. Because that's another thing, the school for children with disabilities back in St. Vincent, there were, and which is Beckway, um, it's not supported by the government. So they rely heavily wow. on donations. Yeah. Um, That's incredible, isn't it? You know, no matter how bad things are in your home country, um, at least our government or the US government or whichever government. I mean, you'd you'd think it's it's kind of a a basic thing is education for children, regardless of whether they have a disability or not. You Mm. would assume that would be kind of amongst the stuff you fund. You know, you you pay for the police and you pay for, you know, fire services and you pay 
pay for education. I, yeah. I mean, I would also say you pay for healthcare, but that's not a thing in the state. <laughs> they, they have <laughs> to pay for all the services, um, their medical, um, mm. even like physical therapy, <laughs> speech. And that's not even on the island where my no. parents are from. They have to travel on the, the ferry to St. Vincent. So. Wow. And can I ask, I, I've, um, I visited Antigua um, and, um, and St. Lucia myself. And I, there is a distinct um, difference uh, within the kind of, you know, the people who live there amongst that there are very rich people living on those islands and there are extremely poor people living on those islands um you know i i i was really saddened in st lucia to see um you know the the huge luxurious resorts um for tourists and the people living in tin shacks on the mm. beach is the the island that your family are from do they do they have a lot of people living in poverty there because obviously if you're living in poverty you can't then pay for basic services yeah they have a lot of people there that's living in poverty for sure yeah so you just think you know what what happens to the people in those families and those communities who are born with disabilities mm. i actually have um, a family member, um, who was, um, diagnosed with cerebral palsy as well. Right. Um, and, um, like, I guess the doctors are, the doctors, I guess, know what he has, but don't even know what it is and how to, like, treat it. Yeah. And at first he was going to receive um physical therapy and things like that but it became too much for the family because they have to travel back and forth yeah. and they mm -hmm. have to pay for it um he doesn't speak but i think he walks a little bit so like um i don't think they have like a lot of equipment and things like that and i often think like wow he would do good with like one of those assistive technology devices because yeah. he is able to communicate that way he he doesn't um go out to school because when he goes to school then i guess he kind of misses his mom or dad so they kind of um he cries when he goes to school like i guess because he's not used to it um so um they keep him as at home as well mm -hmm. um so it's, yeah. i mean it's heartbreaking and you know the the opportunities just to you know grow and develop himself and and to you know live his full potential or just do what he wants with his yeah. life it's that so is, limited it's so it's a stark reminder, isn't it, that, you know, Alice and I and Katrina are so lucky to be born in an environment where, you know, our disability is accepted and 
things it's like that. Just it's the just, luck of the draw. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? It's well, it's just the, same, the, the it's geographical lottery. Exactly. It's the same with you know living in poverty. Yeah. And things like that. It's just the luck of the draw of where your family and your clan end up settling yeah. and, and and making a life for themselves. It's just a stark. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, we sit here. Certainly, Lucy and I have have raged at the way that you know we are treated as disabled people um mm. in this country and and that there is so much ignorance and yeah. and you know inaccessibility and all those things but to to our our issues are just they're nothing yeah. they're just a it's like a pee in the ocean isn't it really of, of here's <laughs> here's your problem let's just drop that there and and leave it shall we because your family member is experiencing all the same things that we're experiencing mm. they're experiencing that ignorance they're experiencing inaccessibility and you know misconceptions and people thinking you can't do something just because you're a disabled person yeah but then they've got so many systemic barriers societal barriers of like they don't even want to know they you know society. they can't they're this they the government's not even funding their the education is no. yeah yeah and it's even interesting because of the fact that my parents weren't aware of how to like navigate services here mm -hmm. um i they did everything like educationally mm. so i went to early intervention I got, I received my therapies, sessions there, I, I did my medical appointments mm. and everything like that. But it was pretty interesting because we, they weren't aware of any other services that were available to them mm -hmm. or, or me. So I never started receiving additional supports outside of school until mm. I was probably like... 12, 13 mm -hmm. years old. Wow. Because one of my friend's mom mentioned it to my mom. And that's how that yeah. yeah. Word of mouth rather than being informed and being able to go, oh yeah, this is what you this is what you need for this. And yeah. Yeah. And I often wonder if that's true because we we live in New York, but we also live in a community that's considered underserved. Mm -hmm. And so I'm often wondering, like, we go to these appointments, we see these doctors, but how come these doctors or whoever was a part of the team never mentioned mm. these things? Yeah, you would think that would be so, a pre prerequisite, wouldn't you? You know, you're... Your child has got disabilities, but we would like to make you aware of, you know, the support that's out there for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think, Katrina, um, I don't I don't know what your preference is, um, whether to describe you as a person of colour or as a, a black woman. Do you have a preference? It doesn't matter. But, okay. Um, you can say either one. Okay. okay. Um, so do you, I, I wonder, Katrina, do you feel um as a black woman and a a black disabled woman um do you think that there is your experience of service 
provision is different from perhaps some of your white peers? Um, I think so. Um, I would say that because, um, like, I went to school and mostly my surrounding neighborhoods, which is considered underserved communities, they consider it kind of like the hood. Uh And um, it's already expected that those young people of color aren't going to make it very far. Mm. So, like, they just basically educated us and that's all they did for us, but never really um, provided us with additional resources on how we can um, reach our full potential. Mm. Um, when I was my school journey was basically all over the place, but when I was in high school, um, they never really had a conversation with me about what I planned to do after high school. Um, yeah. They, the only plan they had for me in terms of transition was that they think like a day program will be best fit for me. Yeah. Um, because of my many physical limitations. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, hey, let's have a chat about, you know, what job you might want to do or do you <laughs> want to go to college? They yeah. never even asked me what I, I wanted to do. Nothing about my goals and dreams. They When I was at school, they said to me, they asked me what I wanted to do and I said I want to work in television. And they kind of went, oh, well, that's nice. Have you thought about working in a travel agent? And I was like, <laughs> uh, no. It's like, it's like you, they, they asked you what you wanted to do and you were like, oh, I'm going to breed unicorns. Yeah. All right, well, you have fun doing that. Absolutely impossible. In the meantime. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and even as late as when I was at college on a media degree course, they said, you know, we had the obligatory sit down with your careers advisor um, and the careers advisor went, are you sure you're on the right course? Because, you know, it's not very often disabled people get into television and my course tutor went bananas um, and I was literally weeks away from completing the course. I was like, it's a bit late now, <laughs> mate. You know what I mean? Like, like, I, I think I'm doing all right. Um <sighs> It's, uh, yeah, they, they, I think people have a very low expectation of, of disabled people anyway, but when you add into like the mix that you want to work in television, when actually historically, not many people get into television. Yeah. Um, It's hard for able-bodied people to get into television for, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I imagine, you know, Katrina's already growing up as you say in an, an underserved underserved community yeah it's 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 hard you know for people of color getting into higher education mm. is made more difficult by our society mm. for disabled people getting into higher education is made more difficult by our society mm. a sort of i mean 
I'm almost, it's almost, I'm not saying I understand why they didn't bother to have that conversation with you, Katrina, but I can understand, I, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, I mean, it's the thing we say all the time is that if you don't see disabled people out in the world, then you sort of assume that they don't exist. Or you forget they're there, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about them. Yeah. So if you don't, see black disabled women at college you know then you kind of think oh well they must not want to go yeah (laughs) and i think also um in my education journey um students with disabilities were taught less than those in like general education Mm. and i caught on to that when i went to college yeah because really? I was like wait um like I struggled one of the main subjects I struggled with was math and don't I get first... this to start on math <laughs> <laughs> Alice, Alice Lucy... is my human calculator aren't you Alice <laughs> yeah I was gonna say Lucy Lucy's uh you know CP versus maths journey yeah. goes mm. goes back 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> they used to bribe me with chocolate bars so that I get my maths done. <laughs> <laughs> but it was pretty interesting because I would take um I had to take like the math remedials for college. Yeah. And I couldn't seem to pass it for nothing. No. So that was when I realized, wait, I never even seen half of these kind of math mm. when I was in high school because I was basically taught the basics. Mm-hmm. And so, um, actually, in order for me to get my associates, I took math as a non-degree student at an, another college. Yeah. And um, I got a lot of tutoring sessions and everything. And with that, I was able to pass college math with an A and that's when I realized wait there's a huge gap between <laughs> yeah, I what bet. I was taught in wow. school to, to college. What was that realization like Katrina when you realized that you'd been under taught many subjects? Was it just um, maths or was it across the board? Um I kind of noticed it more with math but I also noticed it with other subjects yeah. as well. But math is the one that, by taking the exams, I'm like, I wasn't taught these kind of math in, or in school. And and the fact that you walked out with an A, like, goes to show that they didn't teach you that because Absolutely. you didn't have the, the ability and the aptitude. They, they just didn't teach you that. It's It's like expecting me to be able to speak German. They didn't teach us that because they didn't expect us to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very far. And also, it's with the expectations. I recently learned that it's with the expectations that when you're, like, placed in special education, um, it's not expected of you yeah. to even graduate high school, that you yeah. automatically become, like, a high school dropout. Yeah. Like, what do they need maths for anyway? And and then you just think, well, I mean, no wonder there's then not disabled people going to college and getting, you know, higher university educations because there aren't, not everybody 
is confident and advocates for themselves the way that you do, Katrina, if you've spent your whole education being taught the minimum amount, mm. then you're not going to be able to get into college. So you'll, you know, it takes it takes a, a strength to go actually I'm gonna I'm gonna go do this for myself. Mm -hmm. And again, not just a strength, but going back to kind of talking about the privilege that that some of us do have is actually the you were able to do that. You were able to live in a supportive family who could, you know, enable you to go and and get tutoring. You were able to to cover the cost of that. Um, whereas there are some people who who don't have those those privileges, and so. They don't, you know, they finish their, their time in a special education setting and then they don't, they don't know what options are available to them. They don't have the, the confidence to be able to seek them out for themselves. They don't have the privilege to be able to actually access them and get through them. Uh, I mean, I'm, um, I'm making this very depressing. <laughs> when, when I was graduating high school, and the only option they gave me was they think a day program would be best. I was like, um, I either want to go to college or have a job. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and Absolutely. if they didn't help me with either one, if they didn't help me find a job, I was going to college. Mm. Um, so I have, I had to navigate that other system, which is like an adult continuing education. Mm program it's called accent vr out here in i think the u.s and the mostly new york and they have it in the u.s but they might call it different names than they call it here mm -hmm. in new york and um i was able to apply and um be a part of um the program and they actually paid for me to go to college that's awesome. Um, wow. But their system itself is pretty interesting because you have to make sure you maintain a certain GPA. Mm. Um, and they they would only give you an additional like two years or so to complete your associates besides the two years that you're already given. Yeah. Um, eventually, it came to a certain point where... Um, they told me that they can no longer, um, pay for my college tuition because I had transferred. They had originally told me if I transferred to a four-year school that they'll continue paying for my tuition. But when I got there, then they told me I only had one semester left to complete oh, wow. my bachelor's degree. And I was like, who can do that in one semester? Yeah. So I ended up kind of like focusing on this one class. I think it was biology that I needed to go towards my associate's degree because it was kind of like partially online, which was great for me because at my other school, they only had it at like five o'clock in the evening. And mm -hmm. I went to school with my personal care attendant and their schedule was um, kind of like based on how they did things mm -hmm. um, or how they scheduled it. So it wasn't based on my choice. Mm. And this one the, the hours they gave me. And um I focused more on that and because focusing more on that subject 
I ended up not doing too well on the other subject, which as a result allowed my GPA to drop. Mm. And once my GPA dropped, they said, we can no longer support you Yeah. to go to college because of the GPA expectations, which became another thing I started to advocate for and realize is that if you don't reach a certain expectation or a certain G- GPA, they start to view you as not college capable, mm. which yeah. is not true. I think it's about people recognizing that you need to kind of diversify the education process because, you know, you've obviously got the abilities from what you've talked about, you know, from the grades that you've got, you've got the ability to, to get those grades, but perhaps expecting you to spread yourself across a bunch of classes and a bunch of subjects and maintain that is is too much for you just as an individual and I think actually you know if if we did try and diversify those sort of processes a bit more Mm -hmm. so that if people there are people who can spread them out across great good for them but for those of us who maybe can't um that that's that that taking a different approach might mean actually you get more successful candidates you just have to give them you know different opportunities and different ways of getting through a process that's so true i often say to many other people more recently than ever that society creates a expectation of success for Mm. people in general and Mm. it's like you must have a house you must have a college degree in order for you to be considered successful and Mm. i think that's kind of wrong i think that success looks different for everyone absolutely and then especially if you make it really difficult for people to get through college or Mm. to get houses because of the systems you know the way the systems are built then you just again it's limiting the number of people who are going to reach that success point most recently since i graduated college my goal is to live life on my own success path because i feel like um everyone encouraged me when i was going to college but the moment like things got difficult they, they begin to question, like, if I'm, I'm failing at something. So I want to show them that success looks different for everyone. And um, I don't necessarily have to go to college to be considered a successful person. Yeah, I no, can that's absolutely true. What I love. And I've been advocating a lot for, like, um, certificate courses because... A lot of people with disabilities or people in general can't afford college. Yeah. But if we're able to get a certificate in a specific specialized area, um, we would look forward to doing it because a lot of the system that supports people with disabilities doesn't support us to go to college. They're supporting us to do like general things. Yeah. Like certificate courses, but nothing beyond that. The cost, the cost, I mean, for, for, um, 
a lot of i mean if people of a certain age um in this country university was was kind of grant based it was you know it was paid for by the government we didn't have to pay for our university qualifications and degrees um actually tuition fees got introduced in this country uh the year that i started university <laughs> um and um i was having a conversation with my mum the other day i've recently got to a point in my job where i am earning enough money that i'm going to have to start paying my tuition fee loan back and i told my mum approximately how much i owe on my tuition fee and because of interest um I mean, I'll, I'll never pay it back. I will never pay that debt off. Um, and I, I'm really glad I went to university. I'm privileged that I was able to get to a point, you know, and 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 go through university with those with those fees and not worry about that debt hanging over me for the rest of my life. Um, but. I mean, we're seeing increasingly in this country people choosing not to go to university because of the cost mm. of it. And if, again, going back to that, if we're saying, well, you, can, you can't consider yourself a success unless you've got a university or college degree, it just it just comes back around again, doesn't it? Going, well, why are we making it so hard for people to do that? I didn't really want to go to university, but I felt I needed to, to be able to prove myself that I was just as good as my non-disabled counterparts, which is ridiculous, really, if you think if you think about it like that, because, you know, I had a certificate to prove that I can do it. And, um, you know, I was very lucky that my first job was at the BBC here in the UK, which is our main broadcaster. I think ev I think Everybody. the BBC is. I don't think you yeah. need to to explain the BBC, Lucy. I think <laughs> it's, it's a we get it. I know globally recognised brand. And as my like, like oh, there's this thing called Coca Cola. I don't know if you've heard. Of it. <laughs> you go to a place called McDonald's. I don't know if you've heard of that either. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I was very fortunate enough that my first job was for the BBC. And I got the job, not because I was qualified, but because of the experience that I gained, like, on the job at university managing a production office for a very small film. Um, and that was the reason they told me that was the reason you got it. If you hadn't have had that experience making a film, I probably wouldn't have got Well, <laughs> I was like, brilliant. Thanks for that university education. Like, all I really needed was experience. That kind of thing. It's a, it's a vicious, vicious circle, really, because, you know, you need the experience. But for me, I also felt I need, needed a certificate. I found college um, interesting um, because um, I don't think I took any courses besides, like, elective courses that may have taught me things that I would be able to use in a career. Yes. Did you have any, like, this is what I want to do when I've left college? This is the kind of field I want to work in? Or did you, by that point, did oh. you know you wanted to be an advocate? Um, when I left college, um, it took me six or seven years to complete my associates. Mm -hmm. um, 
So when I left college, I knew I was already doing the work that I'm doing, but I knew that I wanted to invest more time with advocacy and doing what I love, um, like being a motivational speaker, um, serving on like different committees. Like I knew I wanted to do that. Um, I was also, um, surprised at my college academics journey because, um, on documents when I left school, my documents date that I was either on a fifth or sixth grade level in um, math or, or a reading. I'm just and trying to put that into context. I think, is that what, 12? Age 12, sixth grade? Yeah. Wow. So um, I was able to get mostly um, A's and B's in college. Yeah. And so reflect back on how they said I was only on a fifth or sixth grade level in either English or reading or math. I mean, that is just <laughs> amazing, isn't it? I, like, I yeah. love one of those stories where you're like, and I'm going to prove this to you, whether it kills me or not, kind of thing. That is yeah. just so amazing. You must um, be so proud, Katrina. Yeah. 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 Um, like that, I, that's, I do love that. I love yeah. that story. So I'd, it's I the underdog you, story, you, isn't it? Really? Yeah. You want to go back to your uh, to your <laughs> high school and be like, hey, just like mic drop. Guess what I did? <laughs> look, at, look at me now. Yeah. I, I do go back and visit from time to time. <laughs> from time to time. Just, uh, just accidentally like, flashing just your other great CV. Yeah, yeah, putting your CV like through on a desk. Like, just leave this here. <laughs> and when I do go to visit, it's always pretty interesting because they're always asking me, hey, can you have this student with yeah. transition? Yeah, it's amazing, and isn't it? I'm like, me? In the back of my mind, because you never helped me plan transition or you never yeah. expected nothing much of me so you want me to help other students but um that's also another reason why I started a mentoring program um once I graduated in college I started a mentoring program slash network called disability champion mentoring network as a way to help students transition from high school um, into whatever they dream to be, because I want to be able to change the perception of what transition looks like. I think it's absolutely brilliant, Katrina, the work that you do um, around that is just it's like a breath of fresh air, isn't it, really? <laughs> I was also, um, I don't know if I mentioned this in the beginning, but I was also um, former Miss World Train New York 2018. Were you? Yes. Wow, what a cool <laughs> thing. Did you get a tiara and a sash? Yes, I did. Oh, I want one. <laughs> <laughs> I want a tiara and a sash. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So- so, like, um, the Miss Wheelchair New York organization is not really like a beauty. It's not a beauty pageant. 
at all. It's basically focused on woman empowerment of yeah. women with disabilities and who uses um it's mainly for women who uses wheelchairs. But yeah. we become the voice of all of those with disabilities. We basically become a spokesperson and um my platform I focus in on bringing self advocacy into schools and making it more inclusive. Yeah. I was going to say, education's a big thing for you, isn't it? Yeah. Throughout the journey, and spread out to different things. So, like, I was able to travel throughout the New York State, um, speaking at different places, speaking at um, schools, speaking to educators, doing, like, presentations. And I also um, was able to talk to students about disability awareness. Mm. Um, so it sounds like, like you didn't have to do like perform a song in a bikini then no no okay you, you have to basically give a platform speech and my okay. platform speech focused on um like bringing some advocacy into schools and making it more inclusive but it also spread into like different areas doing the same spreading that mission um, I talked to like um, school superintendents. Um, mm-hmm. I talked to leaders of education. Um, I also um, did something small, like in my community. I went to like one of my local parks and I said, "Hey, here's where children go and play. Um, when is it going to be an opportunity to realize?" that Disability Awareness Month should be celebrated in parks because that's when children go and play and make yeah. friends with others. Yeah. And they might find uh, a person with a disability there because I also have um, a niece. And so because um, she she knows about me and she's very like aware of that I use a wheelchair and my disability, it's different for her. But what she'll be able to also educate her peers. Mm. And um, what would you want for her peers who don't have the same exposure that she does? Mm. Um, so I, I also funny. promoted to bring um, like some uh, um, disability awareness month into school. I still want to see that happen. It didn't get to happen when I spoke directly to the superintendent, but this is something that I still want to make happen. And with my disability champions mentoring network, um, I want to be able to like mentor students with disabilities going through transition and um, making sure they have no barriers to their dreams. So I'm currently in the process of making disability champions mentoring that right into a nonprofit organization. That is amazing. As well. That is brilliant, Katrina. I, I was going to ask what the next step was, steps were um, for you, but I think it's world domination. <laughs> um, like, it's going to be like the disabled Oprah. It's all you're going to be. <laughs> You get a wheelchair. You get a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get a tiara. You get a tiara. 
I want to be able to make disability more empowering and visible um, as much as I can um, in my community, although we have a lot of opportunities and options. Um, disability in terms of young people is not always visible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we seem more like elderly seniors. Yeah, yeah. Out in the community, um, and I think that that impacts on young people when they are out, you know, out and about, just being disabled people. I I think it is that. Oh, well, what happened to you? Because, and actually, I think you know the majority of young people who who are disabled, it's because they were born disabled. And I, I'm just saying that that might be statistically untrue, but it, it feels right. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, that perception that only only old people get disabilities yeah. <laughs> uh, is uh, it's it's just it's it's not good for young people. Um, I know, um, Katrina, you know, we, we've talked quite a lot about education and, and schooling in um, the episode today. I know that that's something that's quite a, sort of a key element to the advocacy work that you do. And I know that you've written a book about your experience of um, education. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. So about a week and a half ago now, um. June 2nd, 2022, I released my first book called Special Education to College, The Katrina Story. And it like highlights that I'm breaking those glass ceilings. Um, that's like the um, subtitle of it. And it talks about um, my journey growing up from like the low expectations that they had of me from the school system to doctors, how I'm turning things around from like documentations to everything and living a limitless me journey without having to basically prove myself. Yeah. That's, no, awesome. that's great. I think I could have done with that when I was at university, if I'm honest. Uh, where have you been on my love, Katrina? Uh, no, it's great stuff. Um, where can people find your book, Katrina? Yeah. I, I know it's uh, um, on Kindle, isn't it? People, um, it's currently only available as an ebook. Hopefully, it'll be available as back soon. But they can find it on bookbaby.com. In the bookshop, they can find it on on Amazon Kindle. Yeah. They can find it on Barnes & Noble's bookstore for, like, Nook. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. Well, we'll put put a link to your Kindle, um, your, your... What am I talking about? Your ebook, not Kindle. Uh, to, on, uh, your episode guide for this episode's uh, Katrina, so people can find it if they're interested and want to read a bit more about your story. Um, is there anything else that you want to sort of mention? Where can people find you online uh, before you go, um, Katrina? People can find me on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, they can just simply type in my name, Katrina Hazel, and they'll find me on LinkedIn, but they'll also find, find me on Instagram. 
um, using um, Miss Wheelchair in New York 2018. And they can also find me on Facebook um, using Miss Wheelchair in New York 2018, Katrina Hazel. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we'll put all those links as well to your uh, to your uh, sort of social media sites um, so that people can find you there as well. It's just been a really interesting uh, conversation, Katrina. I feel like we've covered a lot. <laughs> it's been really interesting. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. And I just want to mention one really quick thing that I also like to make handmade bracelets and things like that. So wow. I also started um, my own shop on SD.com. Yes. It's, it's called Limitless K Creations with a K. Right. Okay. I like that. That's cool. fabulous. Well, if you send me, if you, if you can email us the link to your uh, online shop, Katrina, and we can also include that in the, uh, in the, your episode guide as well. Sure, no problem. Brilliant. Thank uh, you so much. I know where we're coming to when we decide we need some merch. <laughs> yeah. Some branded jewelry for the show. Yeah. Bit of bling. Yeah, definitely. No, fabulous. Thank you so much for your time, Katrina. Um, and I'll also send you guys the link to my Disability Champions Mentoring Network. Yes. Yeah, you guys brilliant. Can share that link as well. Absolutely. Just send everything you want us to mention and we'll, yeah. um, we'll put for it all in one place. For that's interested in joining i think having anyone from it any young person with a disability or a parent who wants to learn different things and hear from other people they right. can definitely like join us i also think like um it's a good source of like emotional support for young people because i often think that's forgotten yeah in the yeah. disability community that's something Absolutely. we've talked about okay. A hundred million times, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, that that disabled people also have feelings, um, and sometimes we need to talk about them. Yeah, uh, that's so think... one of the reasons why I became a coach because um, I wanted to support people with disabilities in that way, so then they they don't really have to focus on like if they reach out to like getting help. Um, they wouldn't be labeled with like a mental health disability or something. No, yeah, exactly. Most of my uh, disability support comes from moaning at Ali's every Monday afternoon <laughs> for at least thirty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, guys, if you've enjoyed this week's episode, um, please let us know by leaving us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, we really love hearing from you you can also tell uh you know tell your friends about us if you've uh, enjoyed the episode please you know share it with your friends um and tell us when you are listening to the show by using the hashtag that lucy and i are determined to get off the ground <laughs> hashtag listening, listening to, labels. to labels um and we will see you all next time thank you so much for listening bye bye Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at Labelled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved.